It's uh, good to be with you this morning. The King of Kings, that's who he is. And uh, how are you feeling this morning? Good? Hashtag stronger together. Are we proud of our boys from, last, from yesterday? I don't know about you, I got to halftime, I ran out the lounge. I was like, no, I can't watch anymore. Uh, I went for a prayer walk. <laughs> uh, in 95, I went for a prayer walk at halftime. In 2007, I went for a prayer walk in halftime. I thought I might as well just keep it up. Um, but I uh, came back with Cheston Colby. Yes, come on. Scoring the try, and so um, I, I really believe it was, a, it was an incredible moment as a country. But here's the truth, friends, that whether we won or lost today, Jesus is still alive. He's the King of kings, and He's the Lord of lords. And uh, I love the South African flag. I just thought, we've got it on our chest here. I know some of you are wearing it, um, but I'll put a little sticker on my chest here. But I love the colors, but I love the red that sits on top, and then below it are the colors of life. I love the fact, you know, in Chinese, the word righteousness is a lamb on top of a man. Uh, the South African flag has the blood of Christ over a nation. And I really believe we arrived this morning not guessing whether we won or not. We are on the front foot because of a God that loves South Africa, loves its communities, loves its people. And uh, we just got to see that a little bit in the rugby. But today, we stand in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? Amen. Amen. And um, I don't know where you arrived from this morning. Maybe you're watching online. It's good to have you with us. Uh, perhaps you're visiting. It's a joy to have you here this morning as we celebrate and look at a series that we were doing called Psalmody. It's the song. It's the story of song. And uh, before I do that, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Pastor Dill and Tess. They are actually down in the Cape. Uh, Dill is riding a race called Wine to Wales. And I know there are a whole lot of guys that have gone from this church. I think six riders. I think Dill and him are riding like 48th or something, which is amazing. But um, he sent me a voice message last night. He said, please give a shout out to the church and a very hoarse voice. He says, eat the bokeh. I've been shouting all afternoon. Um, but um, I just love the fact that uh, we can celebrate what God is doing together. And uh, we're praying they finish strong today. They finish today. We'll be back on Monday. So anyway, we're doing a series called Psalmody, and it's the story of song. And I think it's powerful because songs move us, don't they? They cause emotion to fill our hearts. I mean, I, I grew up like really an Elvis Presley fan. I mean, I had my tennis racket in the living room. I had my old folks record on, and I was like, blue, blue, blue suede shoes. Okay, no one else did it. Just me, eh? And I, I tried to do the leg. My dad could do the leg moments, but I, I was battling a bit. All I had was Elvis Presley's cow's leg. Now I got nothing. Anyway. <laughs> Um, but uh, Blue Sway, but, but I remember, I mean, we had a crooner in the 1960s. His name was Neil Diamond. Do you remember him? You remember him? Sweet Caroline. You remember him? Hands reaching out, touching me, touching you. Sweet. I think it's beautiful. I think it was with Sweet Springboks. What do you reckon? Sweet Springboks. <laughs> Um, and I think you see there's something about powerful about song. You remember that song that was played when you first fell in love. You remember the song that was played at your wedding when you did the first dance. You remember the song when you danced. You remember, you go back. It takes you to our past, but it also speaks to our future. And I want to tell you that God is writing songs in the church right now that are going to shape something of the future. One of these songs I'm gonna, I want to speak on today is the song we sang here, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings, it was released by Hillsong, but it's a powerful song. You know why? It's a song of victory. It's a song, the title of my message, if you're taking notes today, is The Song of Salvation. It's the song of salvation. It declares victory, victory over our lives. And you know, music is, music is powerful because it's, there's some magic to music. Music has melody. But I want to tell you, the real power lies in you and I looking not just at the music because we like the beat, but looking at the lyrics because the lyrics bring liturgy. 
I know liturgy sounds like a Christianese kind of name. Liturgy always is bringing order. It's bringing clarity. You see, when we, when we get a hold of the lyrics, something begins to change us. You know what happens? It lights us up. The medley will move you, but the lyrics will light you up. You know why? Because it will have staggering or remarkable implications for how we live. You see, we're so enamored with the what and the when, but if we understand the why, it will change the way we live. You know, Christmas is coming. It's coming. Christmas is coming. But you know what the thing is? We know what Christmas is about. We know when Christmas happens, but it's the why of Christmas that can change our lives. You see, when you understand the why, the why behind we sing songs. When you understand that, could it be today that God could take the lyrics and light something in the inner man? Who wants to grow from the inside out? Because that's the story of the good news of the gospel. God doesn't leave us as we are. And you know, here's the reality. It's change, it happens over time. But the, the, the good news about the gospel is he wants transformation for every one of us. Who believes they're growing here? We believe we're growing. We might not be where we want to be, but if we look back over the last, we go like, ooh, thank God I'm not, I was over there. I'm moving forward. It's the story of the gospel. We are being metamorphosized. We are changing. We are changing. And then one day God says, I'll bring to completion that which I started, something beautiful that would represent his son. I love how Paul, 216 times in the gospel, he said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's no longer I live, but Christ in me. Aren't we grateful for that? It's not me that lives, it's Christ in me. Today, God wants to put Christ again in you. And I believe the Holy Spirit's here this morning. And the Holy Spirit, one of his characters he loves to do, he's almost on the start line. He just, he just sits there waiting like this. Oh, they're starting to sing. Oh, they've mentioned Jesus. Holy Spirit, oh, I'm here. Let's light up Jesus. Hearts open, let me see you. Because when you see him, as the psalmist says, if I see him, he'll save me. If I gaze on him, He'll change me. So beautiful. I got some things around song, uh, some quotes on music, which I love. Uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian, he said, music will help dissolve our perplexities and purify your character and sensibilities. And a time of care and sorrow will keep a fountain of joy alive in you. Maria von Trapp, who remembers the sound of music? She said this, music acts like a magic key to which the most tightly closed hearts open. Henry David Turo said this, when I hear music, I fear no danger. I am invulnerable. I, am, I see no foe. I am related to the earliest times and to the latest. Bono said, music can change the world because it can change people. J.K. Rowling wrote this, our music, he said, wiping his eyes, a magic beyond all we do here on earth. Beethoven said that music is the mediator between the spiritual and the central life. Music can heal the wounds that no medicine can touch. Do you know that there are 11 benefits to singing. You know, that 11 benefits, hashtag join the choir. Hashtag sing, singing, singing, singing benefits the immune system. Singing gives us a workout. Singing improves your posture. Singing helps with sleep. According to the health article, experts believe singing can help strengthen throat and palate muscles, which helps stop snoring and sleep apnea. If you're familiar with these ailments, you know how difficult it is to get a good night's sleep. Uh, wives, you can hit your husbands now. Uh, we, 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 husbands, we need to do more Singing, yeah, yeah, singing. Okay, and then it says singing is a natural antidepressant and lowers stress levels. Singing improves mental alertness. Hashtag not stronger together for South Africa this morning, but hashtag let's sing together. Because when a country sings together, it can change us forever. There are so many benefits to what God wants to do when we sing. Who's ready to sing a song today? We're gonna sing a bit later again, this powerful lyrics, but I pray when we sing it again, we wouldn't just see it for the melody, we'd see it for the lyrics and the power which God 
sees. We'll see the Savior because that changes everything. You know, the Bible is filled with songs. There are over 185 songs in the Bible. The longest song is 1,792 words. The shortest one is seven. But there's a song, a first song. You know where the first song in the Bible is? Exodus 15. You know who wrote it? It's called Moses' song. You know what song it is? It's called a victory song. You know why? Because the people of Israel, two million people went through. God parted the Red Sea. They didn't lift a spear. They didn't fight nothing. They just walked out from the clutches of the most feared army in the world. And he got on the other side meeting. uh, On the other side, Moses didn't hold a meeting. He wrote a song. You know why? He declared victory over God's people. You know what the last song in the Bible is? Revelation 15. Coincidence? Exodus 15. Revelation 15. You know who sings it? The church sings it. You know what song it is? The song of Moses. The victory song. I want to tell you between Exodus and Revelation, God doesn't change. He declares one thing over your life today. You are victorious because of the price he paid for us. Can we give up a shout of praise to the one who's changed us? We, we have a victory song on our lips as the church. The Bible says in the Psalms, for the church, the camps of the righteous have a victory song. That's who we declare, not because of what we do, because he'd do for us. He's ready to learn about the song today. I've got some couple of points, observations from the song, from the lyrics that stand out for me. Uh, but before I do that, I want to just mention, as I said, the Psalm 119, and I love this psalm. It, it says, Psalm 119, verse 18, it says, Lord, open my eyes so that I may see your wonderful truths in your instructions. I love that thought, you know. It's not, we can't open our eyes. Lord, would you open my eyes to see your wonderful not burdensome, not, 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 condemn, not condemning, no, wonderful truth in your instructions. My prayer today, Lord, open our eyes, Lord, so that we may see you. You know, uh, Jensen Franklin tells a story about a man, his name was Ronald Cromwell. He lived in the late 18th century. He was in the Middle East traveling and he met a guy who told him a story. The story so profoundly impacted him, he went home to America, he he put it into a pamphlet, and he sold over 9 million copies. With the benefits of that, he started the Templeton University, it's become one of the greatest universities in America. You know what the story was? The story was about a man by the name of Ali Asif, who lived in the West Rand in Joburg, South Africa. He lived in a farm with his wife, a a subsistence farm. He grew crops, and that's all he had. He had a little humble house, that's all they could do. They had an ox with a plow, and he plowed it every day. A friend of Ali Asif came to visit him and told him about the diamonds that had been found in India and around the world, that if he found a diamond, it would change his life. He became so captivated with the thought of getting a diamond that he sold the farm. He said to his wife, I'm going to go and find my riches. I'll come back. And he went searching. He went to India. Under that mountain, found no diamond. Went to China, went to Russia, went to Europe. He ended up in Spain, and he wrote a suicide letter saying that there's no search. There's no such thing as this diamond. And he jumped into a flooded river and gave up his life. The story changes, though. The guy who bought his farm from him had the same ox, had the same plow, and the same shear, and the same humble house, and a wife in the house, and he went plowing every day, and every day he came across some, he would go in the shear plow, and every five meters he hit a black rock, boof, black rock up on the shear, and he got a nuisance, like put the rock away, put it aside, another five meters, boof, another black diamond, put it to the other side, black rock on the other side. There was a light that, I've just given it away, there was a light that shone into it, and it had a rainbow color on it. He took this big rock, put it on his mantelpiece, he thought it would be a great decoration to my house. A pastor who visited those days came past and visited him, walked into the foyer of the family, met the wife, went into the living room, checked out the mantelpiece, and stopped mid-sentence. He says, do you realize what you have there? He says, yeah, it's just a colored thing that I found, and I just keep bumping them on my farm. He said, you know what that is? That's an uncut diamond. In the 18th century, that stone alone was worth 25,000 U.S. dollars. 
That farm is the biggest th- uh, finding of diamonds to this day in the world. It's supplied the queen's jewels. It's, it's owned by DBS, but it's incredible, the story behind it. Here's what I want to say, friends. You and I, whether we know it or not, live on a field of diamonds. We are standing. Listen, if you are a believer of God, I want to tell you right now in South Africa, we are standing here on the north coast on a field of diamonds. The sad story is Ali went to search the world, but he didn't realize he was standing on the gift of God. He was standing on something so beautiful. I want to tell you, if you know the gospel, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, we are standing on a field of diamonds. If diamonds can bring wealth to to one man, how much more the unsearchable riches of the kingdom of God. We are standing on a field of diamonds. You know, the challenge is we want to compare our lives with anybody else. So the grass is always green on the other side, but God wants to tell you, start watering your grass. Because look at the wife you have and the children you have and look at the house you have and look at the story that you have and look how God saved you when you had nothing. But I wanna tell you, church, that is the key to gratitude. That is where we remind ourselves, friends, today we don't stand on ordinary ground. We stand here on the North Coast on a field, say it with me, of diamonds, of diamonds. It's beautiful and all because of God's grace. So my prayer, open our eyes to this text because this text reveals who he is. Number one, if you're taking notes, I love how the song starts. It starts with this, the state of man. The state of man. Notice the lyrics, it goes like this. In the darkness, we were waiting without hope and without light. You know, the writer of the song, they they came with a melody just like this, but it took a year for them to write the lyrics of the song. Because you know why? They wanted it to display the truth of the gospel. The writer said when they wrote the song and they finished, they said, this is good theology. You know what theology is? Theology is theos, comes from two words, theos and ology. Theos is God, ology is story. In other words, this displays the story of God. And if we're gonna know the story of God, we need to start where God starts. You know where God starts? With who we are as man. And you know where we start as man, the state of man? We were dead in our trespasses. There was nothing in our lives that could condone God's attention. We were dead. We were like, like, you know, I love the story of Easter. We get around the story and there are many characters that fill the story of Easter. One, one man in particular, we sort of glance over him, but his name was Barabbas. Barabbas was a murderer and he had been put in prison. Do you remember Barabbas? Barabbas was released free and Jesus paid the price for him. But you know Barabbas' predicament, you know where he found himself? In a prison cell sentenced to death surrounded by prison walls, waiting for the executioner to come along and unlock it and declare him, your day is now numbered. You know what, you and I, when we started with this humanity, you know where we are? We are a bit like Barabbas. We think we're Jesus in the story. No, we're Barabbas. We were in a cell. We couldn't save ourselves. We, we were dead. The Bible says dead in our transgressions. That means nix for nix, dead, finished, no heartbeat. We had no chance of saving ourselves. But, Ephesians 2 says, but God. You know why this is so helpful? John Ortberg said this. He said, true power comes from the consciousness of your powerlessness. In other words, when we come to God, not based on what we have done or whether we're good people, when we come to God emptied of ourselves, saying, God, I can't do anything, that is just the fertile ground for God's grace to wash over you again. I need more the grace of God today than the first day I first believed. I arrived this morning not going, I had a good week. And I, because you see, the challenge is if we come to God based on how good we are, it, it nullifies His grace in our lives. So we always think when we come to Him, we've got to come based on our performance. How the week was, I prayed five times, I sang that song, I did this, I did this. We all, we're notching up. That, that's the wrong basis. The right basis to arrive to Him saying, I'm empty, but fill me, Lord. 
I'm empty, but fill me. I love Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers in the 18th century. He said this. He said, to know the fullness of Christ, we must first know the emptiness of everything else, including ourselves. Oh, who wants the fullness of Christ? Who wants to walk in his grace, washed by his river of love? When we do that, we walk in and our hands are empty. We're going, you know what that does for you? It humbles you. You turn and you say, thank you, Lord. Gratefulness is the first word that comes from us, not entitlement. Not I did this, so God, I needed it. No, 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 no. The state of man, I was dead, but God came to save me. The state of man. The second thing I see this in the song is the saving nature of God. If that is the state of man, let's turn it and look at the saving nature of God. Remember that? It's good theology. It's looking at the story of God. You see, that's what the gospel is. The gospel is not looking at me. It's turning my eyes to see him. Because when I see him, it changes the way I live. The saving nature of God. I love the words in the song. It says this. In the darkness we were waiting, without hope, without light. That's, that's our state. But till heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word, word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Do you see that? From heaven, God came running. I love that thought. God didn't come like, oh, I'm just, uh, let's just see. It's Monday, maybe today, you know. I'm just gonna take my time. I'm gonna, sometimes we think God is like this big father with a clock up there and he's just pushed the, you know, like the time on your oven? Like it, let's just tick it out. You know, we're just gonna wait for humans to mess it up and then one day I'll come through. That's not what God's like. He doesn't put the timer on. He runs towards us, running. You know, in Luke 15, Jesus would always try and shift the perspective of the people. When he came, his message was, please change your perspective. This isn't a, 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 a father that's absent from us. He's your father. And he says, look what he's like. He loves you. Look, look at it. Look at it. And he said, he's like a father that runs towards a son that didn't deserve him. Tim Keller said that this is grace, unconditional love to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Unconditional love there's no, but he, it's just who he is. He runs towards us to an undeserving person. You and I are dead in our trespasses by an unobligated giver. The father didn't have to do it. Yet in his nature, he said, I'm running. How did he run? I often think, how does God run? How did he run? Did he run with a stick in his hand? You know, like, hey, I'm coming. <laughs> you know, sometimes we feel like it. Oh, I'm coming. I love the first words in the Bible to humankind, to Adam and Eve were, not what have you done, but where are you? Not uh, whose fault was it here? Yeah? I thought God, arrived, you know, he'd arrived in the Garden of Eden. Like, okay, okay, right, right, right. Whose fault? Whose fault? Adam, Eve, Adam. No, it was, where are you? Because he wanted relationship. How does God come running? With mercy in his eyes. I remember a couple of weeks ago, we did that Yahweh series. And I remember I had a, a thing up here with a big circle. And then I said to the 8th, I didn't, I missed it. So I said, 8.30, I'll, I'll get back to you at 10.30. At 10.30, I said, oh, let's get back to you next year, you know. What's the circle there for? And I thought, you know, the circle, I, tried to, I thought it would be a great picture for a pie chart, you know. I think sometimes people like to see pie charts, nice to see, you know. But I think if you had to describe God's character in a pie chart, it would look like a Pac-Man. You know, Pac-Man is like, it's like okay, just me. Okay, Pac-Man is like, he, it's almost like a pie there, but you know what it is? A Pac-Man is 75% is the body, then there's this little mouth. But 75% of who God is, is mercy. It's mercy. And mercy means that he's compassionate and loving towards us. Mercy was the words, those rahum vahanun, which means he's a motive love, but he also acts to help us and save us. You know, it's you know, amazing in, in, in the Hebrew language, if you take it a little bit deeper, 
The Hebrew language is symbolic. And the word in Hebrew, out of the alphabetic language in Hebrew is the first to, to mercy is two syllables. The first is, is chet, C-H-E-T, chet, and then nun, N-O-O-N. Chet is a picture of a fence. Nun is a picture of a fish. Now here's the story. God, there's a fence, normally separates something. God steps out of the fence, reaches out to take us, no matter what we've done, and pulls us in under his protection. The fish represents life. So God takes us out of a place of no life, puts us in the fence, and gives us life and life to the full. Do you see that? That's what mercy is. Mercy is we don't get what we deserve. Grace is we did nothing, but we get everything. In his fence that protects us, he gives us life and life to the full. He came running with mercy in his eyes to fulfill the word, the law, and the prophets. You see, Jesus' arrival on this earth wasn't a surprise. It wasn't like, oh, here he is. But like your, you know, a bill that comes at the end of the month. Look, where did that come from? No, the law and the prophets saw it coming. They were like, they saw it. There were shadows. The Bible uses nuances. There were like these pictures of his coming. Every prophet, every law pointed to the one that was to come. If you think of Noah, you know the story of Noah? He, he rescues humanity and every animal two by two. I mean, it must be a mess in that ark for 40 days. I don't know how he did it, but only God did it. But it says by the 40th day, it says, guess where the ark resided? It resided on Mount Moriah. And it says on that day, the waters began to recede. You know what that tells me? Guess who was crucified on Mount Moriah? Jesus Christ. In what month? In the seventh month or the 17th day. Those are the exact dates that Noah's ark was found in Mount Moriah. Guess what happened at the cross? The waters of judgment began to recede. Guess what happened with Noah? The waters came down. You see, it all points to Jesus. What about Moses? You know, I think God, there's two redemption stories in the Bible. One is with Moses and the people of Israel. The other is Jesus. And God came, you know that word fulfill? He came to ramp it up a notch with Jesus. You see, Moses took care of Pharaoh, but Jesus took care of Satan once and for all. Moses had 10 plagues. Jesus, all he needed was one cross. Moses opened up the Red Sea. Jesus opened up the grave. Moses took his people into the promised land. Jesus takes into the land of no more. No more past sin. No more approval, seeking my approval with God. No more crying. No more tears. No more because I'm standing with Jesus. He's on my side. Do you see the one who came to fulfill the law and the prophets? It's beautiful. It's the saving nature of God. And the, and the song keeps going, and I love the words. It's, it's repetitive, but it's revealing. It says, to reveal the kingdom coming, to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation. You did not despise the cross, for even in your suffering, you saw to the other side. Do you notice the work here? It's not ours, it's his. He reconciled, he revealed, he restored. And then he goes on to this verse, which I love, and it says this. It says, and he says, and the morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath till that stone was moved for good for the lamb had conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who'd come to the father are restored. I love that thought that the stone was moved for good. It's almost like a picture of an unhinged door. Sometimes we live with the stone still in place, don't we? We live like there's no access to the father, but the Bible wants to remind us that that stone was removed for good for you and I. That means I have access to him. That means I am forgiven. That means the finished cross, the work of the cross, reminds me that I am his son and his daughter. The stone removed for good. And I love how it says, because it pictures the saving nature of God. It says, and the dead rose from their tombs. I love that thought. You know when Jesus rose again from the dead, that many other people in the city of Jerusalem rose the same time? Can you imagine that? 
oh, Uncle Harry, he's come back. You know, Auntie Martha, she's back. You know, can you imagine that? One resurrection for the King of Kings. God was like, mm, if I'm going to do it for Jesus, I might as well do it for that whole graveyard. You know what that tells me, friends, today as we are living? The Bible says the same spirit that is in Christ is in you and I. If God would touch you, I'm telling you, you can touch your family. If he can touch you, he can touch your business. If he can touch you, he can touch this community. If he can touch you, he can touch the world. I want to tell you the church is not a place. It's not a meeting. It's a people. I love the old Methodist pastor. He put a sign up on the back entrance of church. He says, now the church is leaving the building. Because you and I are going to go and be that. Because the Spirit of Christ rests in you. When you touch someone, expect other people to jump up and live. We're not good people. We're resurrected people by the grace of God. Oh, the saving nature of God. I love that thought. And it says, you know, it says this. It says, for the souls of all who had come to the Father are restored. Not will be restored. Not, it's pointing to the past tense of what God's done for you and I. You know, there's a, a phenomena in the world today. Uh, it happens in South America. And uh, if you think of South America, maybe you think of the Falkland Islands or Chile up the west coast with the high mountains and deserts. Maybe you think of Venezuela, maybe Argentina with the great beef that comes from Argentina and the brilliant polo. I don't know what it is, but if you think of Brazil, you think of Amazon, don't you? The Amazon River. You know, the Amazon River is 6,400 kilometers long. It, it, in any distance, it's between 1.6 and 10 kilometers wide along its girth. Its mouth is 320 kilometers wide. 209,000 cubics uh, thing of water per second push out of its mouth. There's a story in the early 19th century of a ship that was traveling 200 miles off this coastline. But they'd run into trouble. They'd lost, they had no water. And so they'd gone day four, day five, day six, desperate. Their prayer was this, Lord, please send us a ship to help us out. And their prayer was answered. Ships suddenly appeared in the horizon, started coming towards them. And in those days, they didn't have radio, so they had to hold up a flag. So they pushed this flag up. The flag said, please help us. We don't have any water. Anyway, the, other flag, the ship that was coming towards it put up a flag and said, put your buckets down. So they thought, no, they've misheard us. They haven't read the sign properly. So they put up a sign again. They said, no, no, you don't understand. We are dying. Please, we need water. With that, the ship started to go past them like that, and it raised the same flag again. Put your buckets down. And with that, that other ship disappeared into the horizon. The people on the deck panicked, and the captain looked around. And one little soldier from the back said, Captain, we've got nothing else to lose. Let's put our buckets down. They put their buckets down that day, and as they pulled the bucket up, some of the freshest, most beautiful drinking water they ever found. You know what the Amazon does? The Amazon flows with such force, it pushes fresh water out 200 miles off the coast of South America. It suppresses the salt water. There's access to living water. I want to tell you, friends, when you see the saving nature of God, the invitation of the gospel is put your bucket down and start to drink the living water that comes from Jesus Christ. I want to invite you today, friends, to put your bucket down means I realize that I have nothing to bring but only to receive it from Him. To book your bucket down says I humble myself in thankfulness and I reach down because Jesus said I have living water that will never run dry. If the Amazon can push water out 200 miles and reach a ship, how much more the gospel of Jesus Christ and the living water that comes from Him would flow into the hearts of humanity. I think sometimes we diminish God and His resource, but He far outweighs us with our demand. He has so much more. Oh, the unsearchable riches of the kingdom of God.
saving nature of God. The other thing I saw and I read it and it stood out for me and it, it's almost like the song pops when it gets to this place. It says, and the church was born and the spirit lit the flame. You know the church is? It's you and I. And I think sometimes we think the church started when, uh, when I got saved. You know, don't we think that sometimes? Hey, I got saved, now the church is here. <laughs> the church is as long as Link Church. No, it isn't. The church is as long as the Anglican Church, 200 years. No, it isn't. The church is as long as Martin Luther from the Reformation of the 15th century. No, it isn't. The church started in a little upper room with a little bunch of ordinary people, very messy people, born that time 2,000 years ago. I want to tell you, this tells me we are part of a rich history with the prophets, with the Abrahams, the Isaacs, with the Pauls, with the Sauls, with the Peters, with the Barnabases, you and I. You know, I love the book of Acts because it never finishes. You know why? Because the church story hasn't yet been finished. Right now in heaven, in 2019, you and I are writing, have the privilege of writing our story. I wonder what our story in 2019 is going to be. I wonder what it would be. God says, write. I love how Paul, when he writes the Corinthian church, he gets to the end and he loves this church. And you know, final words are often most important. He writes to them and he says, he says this to them, keep your eyes open. It wasn't that they were walking around with their eyes shut. No, they just weren't seeing the right things. Keep your eyes open to the love of God. Keep your eyes open to who he says you are, not what the world says you are, not what this culture says you are. Keep your eyes open. You are a son and daughter of the living God. And then he says this, oh, I love this. He says, hold tight to your convictions. In other words, hold tight to what you believe in. And then he says, give it all you've got. He said, and then be resolute and love without stopping. Oh, Paul was bringing love there. Love without stopping. The problem is we want to stop because we don't. No, love because you've been loved. But I love that paradox. Hold tight to your belief. Give it all you got. Let go. Hold tight. You know what we do? We do it the other way around. We never, we're anxious to really give it what we got. Am I right? Okay, just me. You know, we don't, we're indecisive and we, oh, is this the right thing? And, and, and you know, should I make that step? And, and should I do this? And, and, we, we end, and we, we, you know what that is? Fear and anxiety sets in and so we never give it what we got. But Paul says, turn it around. Hold tight to what you believe in. I'm a son of the living God. He died for me. It's the finished work of the cross. I stand in victory. That greater things lie ahead of us. That I believe in the living God. That a spirit is in me. Christ raised me from the dead. And he says, when you hold on to that... When you hold on to that, you know what it's going to do? You're going to give it everything you've got. Do you know what the biggest tragedy in the World Cup must have been yesterday? It's for South Africa to leave the field and never give it what they really got. But you know what that 15 men did that day, yesterday? Is they gave it everything they got. And that's all God asked for you. Would you give it everything you got? Because if you hold on to what you believe, it'll change your life. I love the last thing. I want to close with this. It says... Uh, my last point is we stand in victory. You know, I love in Ephesians, it talks about the armor of God. Paul's writing again. And you know, once he says wrestle, but four times he says stand. I think we've got to mix up. We're trying to wrestle our way through this thing. God says, no, no, put the armor on, just stand. When King Jehoshaphat was fighting, God says, I'm giving the enemy over you. You must arrive at the battle line, but I just want you to stand because I'm going to bring the victory. You know what the cross is? It's a picture of Jesus who paid the price for us. He wrestled for us so that you and I can stand. We stand. Jesus invited his followers just to come rest with him. Come rest and stand. Put on the armor of God and stand with him. There's victory 
in the church. There's victory in where we're standing. All we're doing is standing and trusting Him. You see, this song ends with praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit to the God of glory. In June this year, I met a man. His name was Mr. Tebenkulu. He lives out here near Tongot. And during our love week, we went out and we handed some matric packs. We arrived, we went into Tongod, we went back streets. Those who came with me went this side, that side. We were in a taxi, we were just going like this. We were like, oh my gosh, where is this place? And we arrived, like I said, on the banks of the Tongod River in the suburb from nowhere. We arrive and there are these gates and the gates open. A warm, wide welcome for us. We cars drive in and we go through the little block, the admin block, and there's this gap and you look out over a balcony. There's cool classroom and there's a big open yard. Below, as I walk out, I see this man standing, Mr. Tebankulu. He's the principal of the school, and he's addressing 350 matric pupils. And I stand there for a while, to his side, on my side of the staff, beautifully dressed with smiles on her face. I hear this man speaking to the matric pupils. He jokes with them, and they laugh. He brings them to attention. Every eye is on the principal. We go downstairs, and we begin to pray for some of the grade 12s. And I'm praying for them, praying for them, and I asked Everyone I prayed for, I said, who's that man up there? They look at me and they said, Ubaba, he's my father. He's our father. I looked at that, I was like, I walked away. I thought, that's incredible. I heard about this man, but what was this father really like? Two weeks ago, I was in a dinner here in Sambiti. We had a Partners for Possibility, this organization. I love the language, it's gospel language. Partners for Possibility. One lady left South Africa in 1994 in fear. Spent many years in the UK. In 2009, she came back. She asked God, what can I do? He says, go and help a principal. She went and helped one. Now, today in South Africa, 1,400 schools have business leaders that partner with principals, not just to tell them what to do, but connect relationally with them and build a better future for the generations of our country. And I sat there in this thing, and we had a minister uh, from KZN next to me. And I was looking at Mr. Klebenkula because he was sitting from a distance. I, I recognized him. And this guy said, you know who you're staring at? I said, yes. Been to a school. He says, oh, yeah. He says, I said, you know what they call him there? He says, yeah, they call him Baba. I said, yes. He said, let me tell you about this man. This man has been in that school for 19 years. 19 years. You know this man, when he builds something, because government give him nothing, nothing. You know what he does? He gets the parents in the room. And he breathes vision into him and says, you know what, parents, we can change this Tongod area forever and ever. I need some answer. We want to build another classroom. And I says, have we got any builders in the room? And a parent puts his hand up. Have we got any guys to do this? And the parent puts, okay, parents, don't put any cash in my account. You build the building. Let's build something for the glory of God. His school is unbelievable. He says, listen, my friends, the answer's in the room. God's given us everything we need for this. But you know what? It didn't end there. He said, you know this man, on a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, Thursday night, Mr. Tebankulu stays behind, keeps his classroom open for children that don't have a desk or electricity. He invites 2,500 children. He says, if you need help, I'm here. And you know what this man, the minister said, you know what he does? The children come and they work under his vision, under his eyes, a father's eyes. He says, you know what? They have the highest pass rate in KZN because children sit in the classroom in an environment where a father is present. Oh, the love. I thought to myself, if Mr. Tebunkulu can do that for 2,500 people, how much more our Father in heaven. God hasn't called us just to survive. He's called us to thrive. And when we come into his presence, he will change our lives forever because that's how loving he is.
Come on, church, why don't we stand with me? We're going to sing that song.